Well, good morning. It is great to be with everyone. Great to gather with you today. Great to worship with you today. If you are uh, new to LifePoint, excited that you're here. My name is Corey, and I serve as the teaching pastor for our Plain City campus. And last week, we kicked off this brand new series called Asking for a Friend. And in this series, we're looking at tough questions that, that people in the church and people outside of the church may think but not necessarily ever ask. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 to get relational insight on how to believe correctly and how to treat one another carefully. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians because the church in Corinth, they, they had their fair share of issues from, from conflict and division to sex and sexuality to marriage to divorce to singleness. The early church was filled with a whole bunch of stuff that they were working through. And so just like them, we believe that God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. And that's really our big idea for this entire series, that we believe God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. And as we, we dive in today, um, I, I really want to say this. I, I feel like I need, I need a parental advisory as we start today, because this morning, we're going we're gonna to get into uh, some heavier things. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk a, a, a bit about sex and, and sexuality. And I know um, some parents in the room, they have some little kids with them. And so if that's you and you don't think those kiddos are, are ready for this and they're fifth grade and under, now is a great time. I want to invite you. Go ahead and check out our LifePoint kids. There's some folks out there who'd be happy to get you checked in if you think like, hey, that's, that's not what I want my little ones to hear today. Um, you can go ahead and do that, do that now. I do want to let you know I am not going to get graphic or detailed or anything like that, but we are going to speak truth and see what the scriptures have to say um, about some things regarding sex and sexuality today. With that being the case, um, I don't think we go any further than if I just take a moment and pray for us as we dive into a heavier topic today, okay? Heavenly Father, as we move forward this morning, um, Lord, I do pray, I do pray that your, your hand would be upon us as we gather and as we walk through your scriptures today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would work through this room. It would work on our hearts and work on our minds. And today, we'd seek to glorify you as we look to, to your scriptures as, as truth and as, a, as guidance for our lives, as a firm foundation for our lives. And Lord, we will not do justice to the text that we're walking through today, but by your spirit, I pray that you would take it and you would use it uniquely in each and every one of our lives today. So Lord, guide us and be with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Well, this morning, what we're going to ask is, is this question today. Why are Christians so judgmental or backwards when it comes to sex? Why are Christians so judgmental or, or backwards when it comes to sex? And I, I think it goes without saying that we live in a, a culture and a society that is highly sexualized. And I, I, as a parent, I feel like I have two boys, 16 and 14, and I feel like I'm constantly on guard with what's on the screens in our house, whether that's a, a phone, a TV, a, a gaming system, whatever it might be, I, I feel like I'm, I'm on guard with that all the time. And, and whether that's YouTube or just a commercial that pops up on a, on a TV show, movie trailers, even artwork for movies, I feel like we're, we're on guard with those things. And there's this phrase in our household, actually, it just came up yesterday as we were, we were watching something. If something inappropriate pops up, 
it takes me about 0.001 whatever of a second to be like, close your eyes, right? Like, close your eyes, like pull the blankets up, do whatever, hands over the eyes, guard your eyes, right? That's, that's what happens in our house. And we're looking for one of three remotes to mute the TV, change the channel, do whatever, like covering a kid's eye. Just, it's, we're all over the place, okay? Now, most people would think that that makes us um, weird. The world would say that makes us prude. Some people would say, well, you're just overprotective of your kids. Because I think the prevailing thought in our, our society today is this, that when it comes to any kind of sexual activity, if it's between consenting adults, then it's not a big deal and it doesn't really hurt anybody. Right? That's, that's what I think our society thinks. Hey, if it's, just, if it's consenting adults, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. What's, what's the big deal? Which would be like saying God does not care what we do with our, our bodies. But the Bible and God tells us that he very much cares what we do with our bodies. That as we're going to see today, that God is the designer of, of sex, that he created it with a greater purpose than the world gives it credit for, and he actually puts some boundaries on it, more than just consenting adults. And what we're going to see is just like anything powerful, when it's used outside of what it was created for and it intended for, it can be damaging and destructing, destructive and, and, and harmful. And that's exactly what was happening amongst the Christians in Corinth, right? They believed they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies as Christians, and it wasn't a big deal. And as a result, sexual sin was running rampant in the church. Prostitution was common and approved of in chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians, right? There's even an issue between a man having an inappropriate relationship with his mother-in-law, and the church was doing nothing about it. And so with that as kind of the context and the backdrop, let's jump right in. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul says this, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, there's a lot of words that we just went through that I would say are not really common to, to our conversations these days. And so I found a different Bible translation that says it maybe a little bit more like we'd say it today. So I'm going to reread those verses for us uh, in this, this different translation. It says it like this. It says, do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right by God, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, Paul repeats this a certain phrase six times in this short chapter of chapter six. He repeats this phrase, do you not know? Six different times in, in this chapter. And what Paul is, is saying to those in the church at this time is like, hey, there's some things that you need to know, and hey, there's some things that you should probably already know. And here in verse one, Paul is letting them know 
that this is what you need to have underneath your belt, that there is a difference between that which is righteous and unrighteous, that there's a difference between you being a Christian and when you weren't a Christian. There's a difference between when you were a believer and when you, you were not a believer. And here Paul kind of goes through, there's some things that can separate us from God, that can break fellowship with God, even if it's just for a, a time being. And, and Paul knows what's going on in Corinth as he says these words. He's got intimate knowledge of, of what their issues are and what their, their struggles are. And what Paul is telling them here in, in these verses is that, hey, God's kingdom, God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. It is not a kingdom of unrighteousness. And if, it's gonna, if you want to be part of unrighteousness, then you're just not going to be in that kingdom. And he says, don't fool yourselves with this. He lets them know, like, if you want God to, to not be part of your life, if you don't want God to have influence on, on your life, if you want to do life on, on your own terms, right, if you want to live and pursue unrighteous things and have a lifestyle that is unrighteous, hey, Paul's saying, just don't be confused. You're not going to be included in God's kingdom. And now, I, I admit it, some of us might be thinking, I see this list, oh boy, I'm in trouble because I just did one of these things last night or I did it last week or I, I failed recently or I've backslid recently. I want to let you know in these verses, Paul is not talking about isolated instances of unrighteousness, right? He's not talking about isolated acts of unrighteousness. No Christian will live a perfect, sinless life while we're here on this earth. But what Paul is referring to in these verses is this. He's referring to a life that is characterized by these sins. That a life direction that flows towards unrighteousness. That a lifestyle that's dominated by these things he's talking about. That it's a pursuit of unrighteousness. It's a mentality that says, hey, I don't want to follow God, but I still want to belong. Right? He says, if you're going to live that way, those are the folks who don't inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, I don't want you to fool yourselves with that. But after he lists all these things, notice what Paul says in verse 11. He says, such were some of you. He says, such were some of you. This is a, a past tense statement. Paul is saying, hey, these unrighteous, sinful things that once marked your life, that once separated you from God, these things that kept you out of the kingdom, hey, they don't mark your life as a Christian anymore. And he says, why don't these things mark your lives anymore? Verse 11, he says, you were washed. He says, you were sanctified. He says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, you guys heard the gospel. You encountered and your lives collided with Jesus and you received Jesus into your life. And he's changed you. You've been transformed and you have this new life. And Paul isn't just saying these things. He had personal knowledge of these things because if we remember, like we talked about last week, he spent over a year and a half with those in, in Corinth here. So he knew them before they knew Jesus. He, he knew them when they received the gospel and he saw their lives transformed by the work of Jesus Christ in their lives. What Paul was, was trying to let them know here in these verses is that a new life in Jesus equals new activity. That a new life in Jesus equals new activity. This is what Jesus does after all. This is what he's in the business of. This is what the, the gospel does. That the, the crooked become straight, that the broken become whole, that the lost are, are found, right? That the, the drunk become sober, sober, that the addict can be free, that the dirty can be, be clean. And so Paul acknowledges in, in these verses here, he acknowledges, hey, what they had been, who they were. 
but he also acknowledges who they had become in Christ thanks to the gospel, that they were, they were washed clean from their sin by the mercy of God, that they were sanctified or set apart from the world unto God, and that they had been justified or declared right to have a, a good standing with God. And Paul says, hey, now that you have this new life in Christ, this unrighteousness, these unrighteous things, they don't mark your life anymore. So don't walk in those things anymore. And as we move forward in this scripture here, we have to remember that that Paul had already had reports of what was going on in the church. And the church themselves wrote a letter with all the issues that they they were facing. So as Paul begins to talk in these next verses, he's covering his bases and he's answering questions that were specific to those in in Corinth. And in doing so, one of the first things he addresses is that this new life in, in Jesus, it comes with grace, but that grace isn't to be abused. He says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. See, what's happened here is somewhere along the line, the Christians in Corinth began to think that because of God's grace, they could just do whatever they wanted to do. And they took this idea of, hey, all things are lawful, and they applied it to areas that Paul and the Lord never intended for their lives. They used their liberty in Christ as a license to sin and to pursue unrighteousness. We see that God's grace is never a a license to do whatever we want. That God's grace is never a license to do whatever we want. In fact, Paul himself, writing in Romans in chapter 6, says this. He said, "Should should we keep on sinning that God should show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he says, of course not. See, the Christians in Corinth, sadly, and many Christians today, think I can do whatever I want because, well, God's just gonna show me grace. That the greater the sin, well, the greater the grace. And so God loves me. He's merciful. He's gracious. So I'll just go do whatever I want and ask for forgiveness and grace after I'm done. But grace is not a license for you and I to sin. When that's our approach or someone's mindset to their life, to their life in Christ, their new life in Christ, if that's the mindset and approach to God's grace, well, then all we do, all we do is cheapen God's grace. And all we do is cheapen Jesus' finished work on the cross for you and I. Too many times, culture, society, people have this mentality of, you know what, I'll just, I'll party hard on the weekends, I'll do whatever I want, I'll look at whatever I want, I'll say whatever I want, I'm an adult, I can handle it, it's only one time, what's the big deal? I'll just ask for forgiveness afterwards because, well, God's merciful, he's gonna show me grace. From personal life experience, that is a very dangerous place to be. When we think that way, right, how quickly do those things, those examples we just talked about, become the very things that dominate our lives, become the very things in our lives that that enslave us? So I can just do it once and it'll be okay. And all of a sudden, we are enslaved to that very thing. In 1 John chapter 2, we're told, do not love the world or the things in the world, that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. In Colossians 3, 7, we're told, whatever we do, whatever we do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So the thing is this, we should not be asking, well, how far can I go before it's sin? How far can I go before it starts to get dicey? Instead, we should be asking ourselves, is what I'm about to do, 
or not do going to glorify the name of Jesus? Is what I'm about to do or what I'm not going to do, is it gonna glorify the name of Jesus? Because here's the deal, God cares about your holiness. He cares about holiness in our lives. He cares about us being set apart. And as Paul's writing here, he's saying, don't be deceived by this. Don't let anyone, the world, a friend, anyone tell you otherwise. Don't be deceived by that. Don't even be deceived by your own self. And in verse 13, Paul says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. Many commentators believe this, this food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food was a common phrase that was used in, in Corinth at the time. And it was used to kind of justify this attitude of God doesn't care what I do with my body, so I can just do whatever I want because my body's gonna die one day and the soul is what really lives on forever and the soul is all that really matters. Therefore, I can justify doing whatever I want in this body while I'm on earth. This approach kind of had this, this thought process of if my food wants, if my body wants food, I'll just eat whatever I want to eat. If my body wants sex, well, I'll just hire a prostitute. It's not spiritual. What's the big deal anyways, right? Paul reigns in this thinking. He reigns in this, this false thinking. And he says, continuing in verse 13, he says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. Verse 15, there's that do you not know again. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And with an exclamation point, he says, never, never. And I think it's important for us to know that these words, sexual immorality there in, in verse 13, these words cover a wide range of, of, of things. It covers pornography, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, prostitution, and more. And it's a big deal. Paul's saying this because what's going on in Corinth at this time was just horrific. It was full of, of prostitution. It was a sex-crazed culture. Those there worshiped the Greek goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual love, and they set up temples in her name where there was legalized prostitution at these temples. You can just come and go as you pleased. And these Christians, these Christians in Corinth would partake in these temples, and they thought they could partake in the sexual immorality that took place in these temples, and it had no effect on their lives. And they treated sex as an appetite to be satisfied, they thought, it's just my body, so what is the big deal? And Paul reminds those in, in Corinth that God did not just raise the spirit of Jesus, but he actually raised the body of Jesus. And he reminds them that their bodies in Christ are now members with, with Christ. And you might be thinking, well, that's great. We don't have any temples here in Plain City or London or West Jeff or Columbus. What's the big deal? Well, we just do this in a different way today. We don't walk in and, in and out of temples, but what we do is we just go find sexual morality and we go download it and we go stream it and we text it in the privacy of our own homes where no one sees us. Paul makes it clear in these verses that God cares. God cares about your body, especially with sex. That God cares about what you and I do with our bodies, especially when it comes to this thing called sex. 
And he leaves no room for negotiation. He leaves no room for discussion. He says, hey, whenever, whenever sexual sin or sexual immorality is presented, he says, we have an uncompromising response to say never, to say no. And if he steps further into his point here in verse 16, again, he says, do you not know, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Paul here goes all the way back to the creation account in Genesis chapter two. He goes back to God's words regarding marriage and sex. And in going back to God's words, he he explains the seriousness of sexual sin. He explains the intended purpose for sex. And he reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us that God is the creator and the standard bearer when it comes to sex. That God is the creator and the standard bearer, bearer for that. That when a man and a woman join their bodies together, the entire personality is involved. That there is a oneness that is experienced that there is a deep and lasting consequences that that come with that. And that when it's in its proper context, it's beautiful, it's amazing, and it's just how God intended it. But when it's out of its context, it's extremely damaging. Warren Wearsby says this. He says, sex outside of marriage is like robbing a bank. You get something, but it's not yours. And one day you will pay for it. But sex within marriage is like putting money into a bank. There is safety, there is security, and you will collect dividends. I think it's important for us to remember today that God is the creator of sex. And that he designed it for inside of marriage. And that he designed it for the reproduction of life. And he designed it to be wonderful and beautiful. And it's something that actually binds people together. That it's far more than just some physical act with with no repercussions, that it's emotional and it's spiritual and it's powerful, that it involves the whole person, that it affects the total body and that it's a blessing that he's given it to us. And and Paul's point here is that engaging in sexual immorality and it joins you with the other person, it's spiritual in some sense, that you're giving part of yourself to the other person. And the guardrails... The boundaries, the design that God laid out for sex are that they're supposed to be for one man and one woman who complement one another sexually, emotionally, spiritually, and physically in the security and in the safety of covenant marriage. This is what the scriptures lay out and are clear about. This is what Paul is laying out and trying to be clear about with those in, in Corinth. And in verse 18, he kind of wraps up his thinking. He says, therefore, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or her own body. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. When it comes to battling sexual immorality, Paul says this, he says this, he says, don't stand, right? He says, don't fight. He says, don't hang in there. Don't try to resist. Don't try to go pray about it. He says, you just flee. You already know what to do. He says, just flee, just run away. And notice he doesn't say, hey, flee, flee, sexual, flee sexual interaction in between covenant marriage in its proper context. He says, flee sexual immorality, 
And remember all that this covers, right? All, all this covers from, from our lustful thoughts to videos to movies to pornography to books to websites to texts to inappropriate relationships. Paul, it's covering all of it. He says when those aren't in the context, right? Those are all outside of the context of what God designed for, for sex, for marriage. And he says flee from that. And he says why? He says every other sin a person commits is outside of the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And, and we need to be clear about something. Paul is not here ranking different, different sins at all. But he is telling us, man, there's something different about this one. There's something distinctive about this one. This one has a unique effect on us, that it's moral and it's spiritual, that it, it not only involves your whole body, but it involves your, your whole being. And I want to let you know, can it be forgiven? Absolutely, yes. Can it be undone? No. Those scars will remain. It, it, it's spiritual because as a Christian, right, you're not your own. I am not my own. We were bought with, with a price and we have the spirit of God living in us. That God the Father created our bodies, that God the Son redeemed our bodies and made them part of his body, and that God the Spirit now lives with inside of us, that we, have the, we are the very temple of God. And that means God cares deeply for us, and he cares deeply for what we do with our bodies, that we actually belong to him. Our body, our soul, and our spirit were paid for. <clears throat> they were bought by the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is God's great love for us, what Jesus has done. This is Jesus' willing sacrifice for us. This is the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. This is Jesus, the innocent for the guilty. We see that God is a good father and that Jesus is merciful Savior and Lord to us and that in Christ, you are God's child and he loves and he values you more than you can fathom, so much so that he decides to put his spirit inside of us. This is why Paul says we should not misuse our bodies, that we are the Lord's hands and the Lord's feet and that the things out of our mouth should be pleasing to him and that our heartbeat should beat for what God's heartbeat beats for. And so Paul says, glorify God in your bodies with everything that you do. And I think this is a great point to come back to where we started today with the question that we started with, why are Christians so judgmental and backwards when it comes to sex? And I, I wish at this point I had some amazingly crafty, inspirational answer and response for that question. But the response I have for that question is really quite simple. That as a Christian, we believe what we believe about sex and sexuality because we're simply being faithful to what God's word has to say. That as a Christian, Right? We believe what we believe about sex and sexuality because we're just being faithful to what God's word has to say about it. It's that simple. And we're not looking to bend or adapt or update to the culture's standards because we believe that God's word is settled and it's timeless and it's perfect. And that if God is our creator and if he is the creator and author of sex, right, then like any author, like any inventor, like any owner or creator, they know what's best for what they created. And the creator knows best how to use what they have created because they know how they've created and they, know they and they know what they've created it for. So there would be no one better to instruct us, to correct us, to train us, 
to inform us and to put boundaries for on what is and is not acceptable for sex other than God himself. I get that that's not popular today. I get that culture doesn't like that. I get that our society doesn't like that. And I even get that some Christians don't like that. But God and the Bible have been saying the same thing about sex and sexuality for over 2,000 years. It's been consistent. So the question is, as we wrap up today, what does this mean for you and I? What does this mean for us as we we leave here today? Well, I want to speak to a handful of us before we go. For the parents and the grandparents out there, right? Teach your kids, teach your grandkids what God and God's word has to say about sex, sexuality, marriage, and purity. Don't hide from that conversation. Don't hide from that topic. Don't stick your head in the sand about it because back in Deuteronomy chapter six, we're told to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we're to commit ourselves to his teachings and his commands, and that we're to repeat them again and again to our children. We're to repeat them at home. We're to repeat them when we're on the road. We're to repeat them when we go to sleep and when we wake up. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in a way that they should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4 talks specifically to fathers, and he says, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you're single or dating today, use your body in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Don't go seeking to find the line of how far can you go before it's an issue. Set the line so far back that when temptation comes, you can call on the name of the Lord and experience victory over that temptation because the temptation will come. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be renewed by the transforming of your mind so that you, by by testing and discerning, you may know what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hebrews 13.4 speaks to the marriage bed. It says, let the marriage bed, let marriage itself be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled or, or pure. And if you're married today, it's quite simple. I love Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God's original design, make no mistake, for marriage was this, one man, one wife for one life. If you're here today and you're struggling in a crowd this size, it's, it's most likely that, that someone is struggling with sexual sin and sexual immorality. That you may be a born again Christian, you love Jesus, you believe the Bible, but you are struggling with pornography, adultery, homosexuality, or even sex before marriage. I want to let you know today that that we love you and that we are happy to talk with you more about these things and, and that you can open up about your struggle to trusted brothers and sisters in Christ that go find a trusted 
leader. Go find a trusted life group member. Go find a trusted person that will give you wise, biblical, not worldly, but biblical counsel and go seek accountability at the same time. I pray that you are met with kindness and understanding and help and grace and truth. And at the same time, make no mistake that God desires purity for your life, that he wants you to flee sexual immorality, that he will provide you victory over sin and temptation, that he desires for you to pursue holiness in your life, and that regardless of your past, he will allow you to start fresh and new today. And you're no different than any other Christian, that we are all called to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily. Lastly, there might be some sitting here today and like, I couldn't disagree with you more. Right? There are churches out there that disagree. There are Christians as a whole that disagree. There's definitely a world that disagrees. Hear me clearly when I say, say this. We're gonna stand on what the Bible has to say. We're gonna stand on this word about sexual immorality, about sex, and about marriage, and about sexuality. To do otherwise would be to go against God himself and God's word. And to do otherwise would be to affirm a lifestyle that the Bible says is harmful and regretful for your life. That's destructive and it's void of true joy. And here's the deal. Sadly, right now, here's where things are at in our society when we hold fast to these beliefs. Hey, if we don't agree with, if you agree with society and culture, then you're loving but if you disagree with society and culture, then you're, you're, there's hatred and bigotry in yourself. And I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true because I believe people can disagree yet still treat one another with compassion and dignity and respect and graciousness. I believe Jesus himself modeled that while he was on this earth. And so today, if you are a, a Christian and you are engaging in these conversations over this very heavy and touchy subject, I get it. I want to encourage you, please, please be full of truth today. Stand firm on God's word. Don't bend, don't apologize for God's truth. And at the same time, please, please, please be full of grace and love in your approach and with your words. Jesus never beat people up for where they were. He spoke truth, he spoke in grace, and he led them forward in following him from where they were at. And I pray that we would do the same. And lastly, as we close, Paul says at the end of chapter six, glorify God in your body. It's a great reminder. It's a great reminder that regardless of what culture says, we are not defined by our past faults and failures. We're not defined by sex. We're not defined by sexuality. And we're not defined by our sexual desires. We are defined by our identity in Jesus Christ that one of the greatest things we can do as Christians is to live in and from our identity in Christ, glorifying God with our bodies. And as we do so, what a great reminder is we live our lives sent on mission that one of the greatest thing we could tell somebody, one of the greatest things we could tell somebody is that Jesus loves them so much that he came for them, he died for their sins, and he rose again so that, just like Paul began in these verses today, that they could be washed of their sin, that they could be made right with God, that they could be set apart for God, and that they could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is 
This is heavy things to talk about today. And they're, they're touchy. And it definitely runs right into our culture and our society. It runs right into where what some of us believe and think. And Lord, my prayer today is, is that we would stand firm on your word. We would stand firm with what you say. And Lord, in those areas where, where we kind of conflict with you, Lord, may, may your spirit work on us. And where I know you'll meet us right where we're at. And you, you, you transform us and you bring us forward and you change our hearts and you change our minds to be more and more like Christ every day. And so if we're struggling in any of these areas, Lord, I pray that you bring us to the truth of your word. And Lord, I also pray for those in this room that and they're struggling in some area with sexual immorality. Lord, that they would seek you. Lord, that they put their trust and their faith in you that you can provide victory over, over temptation and over sin. But Lord, that they would also, they would go lock arms with a trusted brother or sister in Christ. That they would go find accountability and support with someone that will stand on biblical truth with them. And Lord, I, I pray that you would give those that are struggling with that victory today. That they would walk in the, the newness of life that comes in following Jesus Christ. And Lord, some, some today may be sitting here and say, I don't know about this new life. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then I want to give you that opportunity today. That Christ can, can take you from where you are and he'll wash you of your sins. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you right with God and he'll allow you to begin to walk this, this new life in him forward. And to do that, it's extremely difficult and simple at the same time. It's difficult because it means you need to surrender. You need to surrender to the Lord to say, I'm done and I, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna give my life over to you. And I lay it down to you. And it's simple because all you need to do right now, right where you're at, is tell him, Jesus, today, I believe. I believe in you. I believe that you came. I believe that you died, and I believe that you rose again, and I believe that you will give me new life in you. And Lord, I'm, I'm not so sure where to go next, but I just know I want to follow you. You can do that right where you're at, and he is faithful to come into your life. He will begin to live inside of you as we've talked about today. And you can step forward as a child of God forgiven today. Lord, we thank you for what we've gone through today. Take your word and may it not return void in our, our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.